We have uh, been exploring Genesis 1, and we're going to dive into Genesis 2 today. We've been exploring this idea of original blessing that uh, often the church and theological circles talk about this thing called original sin, but we all too often forget about original blessing and that the story did not begin with sin. The story begins with blessing. The story begins with goodness. The story begins with joy and delight and shalom, God's loving presence to us and creating us to live in beautiful relationship with God, with each other, within ourselves, and with this planet that God's entrusted us with. And uh, so we explore the beginning of Genesis 1, where we see God creating. And uh, I invited us to... Oh, children, hi. (laughs) If you are a child and you would like to go to the tables in the back, uh, please do so. Uh, So it's uh, summer, it's July, and we have what we call all-in throughout July. And uh, so we'll have our kids in here with us for the month of July. And so if you guys want to go back there, you're more than welcome to. Uh, Susanna has all kinds of fun stuff prepared for you. Uh, So I I invited us to look at these opening chapters of Genesis, this this great creation narrative, not to uh, prove a point, not to necessarily read it literally or not, not to... uh, Uh, prove anything about science or creation or evolution, but to enter into this story, this this great imaginative story around this creator God of the universe who invites us into awe, into wonder, into exploration, into this way of viewing God in the universe that just causes us to stop and be in awe of the creator God of the universe and all that God has created and to remember the original goodness, the original blessing that God bestowed upon us at the beginning. And uh, so on Friday, uh, I drove all the way up to... Now, help me resolve a debate in my house. Is it Eureka or is it Wairika? It's Wairika. There's two. Eureka's on the coast. Eureka's on the coast, and Yreka's on five. There it is. See? I've been here nearly seven years, and I just figured that out. Uh, I, I was wondering, is it like before I moved here, and I thought it was San Rafael, and then I was taught very quickly. No, it's, we're lazy here. We say San Rafael. We, we don't say San Rafael. Uh, just... Just kidding about the lazy part. Uh, This place is the busiest, hardest working place I've ever been in my life. Uh, Anyhow, Wairika, uh, and then back down to Etna, Kidder Creek Camp, part of Mount Hermon, to pick up my girls and the Fetterman Riggle girls. All four of those girls were at camp this last week. And uh, just being reminded of the beauty of Mount Shasta. Who summited Mount Shasta? Bruce has. Larry. No, it's Summit, the top. Three of us. All right. There's a whole group. We had, what, 14 guys that went a few years back? 12 guys. Anyhow, that's beside the point. It's gorgeous. And then uh, picking up the four girls and driving back, uh, the sun was setting just as we were crossing over uh, Shasta Lake, Lake Shasta. And it was just gorgeous. And then not long after, uh, the moon rose. 
and it was like a blood moon rising, uh, and it was just so gorgeous to take this in and, and experience this. And uh, I, I believe this is something that God invites us into every moment of every day, whether it's uh, amazing views like Mount Shasta or crossing the Golden Gate Bridge or being in the headlands or at Point Reyes or wherever we may find ourselves, but in our own backyard to experience the beauty and delight of creation all around us. And so last week, uh, actually I was teaching at another church last week, but two weeks ago uh, we talked about image of God and how God created us in God's image and what it means to see every human being as image bearers of the divine. And this week I want to jump into Genesis chapter 2 and start in verse 4. This is, uh, so Genesis 1 is kind of this poetic telling of the creation narrative, and Genesis 2 is more of a prose telling of the creation narrative, going about it in a little different direction. And in Genesis 2, it says, this is the count of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Uh, so this is interesting, that there is no one to work the ground. In the beginning of Genesis 2, verse 2 says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating. Uh, and so God is a God who works. And then Genesis 2 tells us there was no one to work the ground. This word work is the word abad, and it means to serve or to cultivate. Uh, that there was no one to serve. There was no one to cultivate the earth. This God who serves, this God who serves us, serves creation. Uh, when t- people talk about the different gods in the world. I wonder uh, which gods serve. Uh, Our God is a God who serves. And we ultimately see that as God comes in human form in Jesus. Not to be served, but to serve. Uh, We serve a God who serves. Because we are created in God's image And so if God is a servant to us, we reflect God by being a servant to God, being a servant to others, and being a servant to the planet. And this is a part of what it means to image God. And so God sees there was no one to work, there was no one to serve, there was no one to cultivate the earth. Uh, And maybe we'll get into this more next week, but I just want to point out work is a beautiful thing. Work is a good thing. Work is something God does and creates us to do. The drudgery and the the angst we feel about work isn't a part of the original blessing that God intended. And so when we engage work, whether it's work we do for money or work we do otherwise, God created us for it and invites us into it to do it with joy and delight. And so there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface 
of the ground. So there's streams coming up, watering the surface of the ground. So a uh, fun thing for us when we left Kidder Creek Camp, uh, this little stretch between Etna and Wairika, uh, there are uh, a couple of places where you can stop and there are fresh mountain springs just flowing. And so uh, we're driving by one and I say to the girls, uh, do you have water in your water bottles? Do you want water? And they say, yeah. So we pull over and this spring is just flowing. And they're like, how's it doing that? Isn't that a waste of water? Uh, and I was like, you would think it would be a waste of water, wouldn't you? Uh, is it safe to drink? Yeah, it's safe to drink. Are you sure? Yes. And they fill their water bottles up. And as we're driving, they're drinking this water. Like, oh, my goodness. This water is so good. It's this spring water just bubbling up from the earth. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So the Lord God formed a man the Adam from the dust of the ground. So the text says he formed a man, Adam, from the dust of the ground. Next slide. Uh, God makes Adam from the Adama. The Hebrew word for ground is Adama. So in the Hebrew, this ancient Hebrew, there is a word play of creating the human, the Adam, from the Adama. Uh, and so people have tried to take this Hebrew wordplay and put it into English. And a couple of ways of doing that is God created the earthling from the earth. Or God created the human from the hummus. Uh, next slide. We are inextricably bound to the earth. Uh, God created us from the earth and we are linked, we are connected to the earth. Uh, this should give us pause and great humility to recognize our deep, deep connection to the earth. Uh, in the book of Job, Job is speaking to God and he says, Your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? God is the great crafter and God uses the tools of creation. He uses the earth to craft the first human from the dust of the ground, from the dirt, from the Adama. Adam is made. Uh, we are made from the earth. We are earthlings. We are hummus. We are humans from the hummus. Uh, there is a deep theological, spiritual, physical connection between us and the very ground we walk on. God created us from the earth. But here's the thing. We are not simply from the earth, from the ground, but God breathed the breath of life into us. Uh, we've talked about how the Hebrew word for breath is also the Hebrew word for spirit, is also the Hebrew word for wind. They're all connected. God's breath, God's wind, God's spirit was blown into us and we became living beings. And so as, as I remind us every Ash Wednesday of this point, we are dust, but we are divine dust. We are created from the earth. We are created from the dust, but we are not simply clay. We are not simply ground. We are not simply Adama. 
we have the divine breath of God in us and flowing through us. And so God invites us into a different way of being than the rest of creation. We are distinct from the rest of creation in that God's very spirit, God's very breath, lives within us. And so uh, we have what may feel like a tension. We have the earthiness of us and the divinity part of us. And so how do we balance the humility of our origins from the earth and the greatness of our origins in God's breath flowing through us. Ephesians 2.10 says this, uh, we are God's handiwork, poema. It's the Greek word for poem. So in other words, we are God's poem created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We, we are this beautiful mix of earth and divine breath, God's poem. And God created us to do good works. From the, from the beginning of time, God had in mind greatness for humanity, for each of us to engage in the work that God entrusts us with, primarily the work of relationships cultivating, building, shaping, and forming our relationships with God, with others, within ourselves, and the earth. And so God invites us into this way of being. And so, how do we live into our earthly humility and the divine greatness as image bearers? How, how do we uh, walk in humility? Uh, or maybe put otherwise, when Jesus talks about blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How do we live into this meekness? How do we live into this humility? And yet also at the same time embrace the greatness of God's presence that lives within us and all that God created us for. Uh, and so I don't think it's an either or. I think it's pursuing and living into an integrated life. What does it look like to live an integrated life? Recognizing that we are, we are flesh and blood, we are body, but there's also the mystery of God's spirit living within us. And we are invited to walk in the spirit and follow the spirit, allow the spirit to convict us when we're not walking by the Spirit, and turn and live into and walk into the way of life that God created for us to live into? What, what does it look like for us to live this fully integrated life that God intended for us from the creation of the world? Uh, that which happened when sin and death entered the world and Jesus comes to rescue us from sin and death and remind us, return us to our original glory, to that original intent that God gave us from the beginning of creation. Maybe put differently, what does it look like to live an integrated life, body and soul? To live in embodied and soulful relationships with God, the other, 
self, and the earth. Uh, a fully integrated life, body and soul. Uh, we are not merely Adama. We are not merely of the earth. We are not merely of the hummus. We are also breathed into by the very divine breath of God. And we're invited to live into this fully integrated life. And I believe Jesus came to show us how to be fully human. God comes in flesh and blood, in a body, and shows us what it means to be fully human. If we want to know what God looks like, all we have to do is simply look at Jesus. Jesus shows us what God is like and invites us to live in that way. And so Jesus comes, God in the flesh, and shows us what it looks like to be fully human. And a new way of being human, or maybe better put, a renewed way of being human, returning us to that original blessing, that original glory that God created for us. And so uh, I don't think it's any mistake that when Jesus left us a gift to remember him by, it's an earthy gift. It's from the ground. Uh, It's from the vine. It's bread and it's wine, or in this case, grape juice. Uh, Jesus gave us this earthy gift to remember him. And yet, when we partake of this earthy gift, it's not simply a physical act we're engaging in. It's a deeply and profoundly spiritual act we're engaging in. It's an integrated act to remind us that we are of the earth, but we also have the divine breath in us. Jesus gave us this earthy gift to remind us of the work of the cross, that his physical body, flesh and blood, hung on a cross for us. Jesus shows us what it means to be human. Jesus shows us how to suffer and die. And thank God that's not the end of the story. Jesus shows us how to live new life. And Jesus invites us into this new way of living, being fully human, walking the road of the cross, and walking the road of resurrection with the breath of God flowing through us, the Spirit of God leading us into light and life and love. Uh, It is this Jesus who on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this morning, as you come and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, I simply want to invite you, if you can go back to that last slide, the question. I want to invite you to reflect 
on that question. What does it look like to live an integrated life, body and soul? To live in embodied and soulful relationships with God, the other, self, and the earth. Uh, Invite the Spirit of God to simply stir within you and ask that question of God as you partake of the bread and the cup. God, thank you. Thank you for this reminder that we are created from the ground, and yet we have your divine breath flowing through us. God, I pray that you would make us a people who walk in great humility, while at the same time embracing the greatness you've created us for. God, we don't want to be a people of false humility, but of true humility. And we want to be servants as you are a servant. And live in to the glory that you have created us for. God, as we take the bread and dip it in the cup, remind us of our earthiness, uh, but also remind us of the divine breath flowing through us. God, make us a people who are humble and soulful at the same time. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray.
church to take over because it is the word of grace. It is the word of love that says, okay, let's do it again. Never in a shameful way. Always with grace and love. Uh, so can we agree on that? But let's do it again. Uh, and Surrender.